listeners, this is Marsha Epstein, and it is September 4th, 2018, which to me means there's this cool thing happening on September 10th in 2018 in Lawrence, Kansas, called Words Save Lives. This is one of my favorite things. I have a bunch of favorite things, I have to admit that, a big basket of favorite things. I love doing this event. It's on World Suicide Prevention Day, and it's comedy, and it's acrobatics, and it's music, and it's stories, and it's poetry, and it's all about, you know what we need? We need to be together with people. We need to have fun. We need to to be serious sometimes, but not only serious, you know? We need to connect and and know that that what we're doing together is important and that people are paying attention to each other and loving on each other and all that good stuff. And so that's what Word Save Lives is about. This will be the fifth annual in Lawrence, Kansas. If you're around, look for the Facebook page, Words Save Lives, 2018.09.10. And I'm not going to spoil it any more than that because the other thing I want to say, because we have a little more time before this one happens, October 11th in Lawrence, Kansas, we have a poetry reading, Epic Rights Poetry. This is a prelude to Casey's big weekend, October 12th through 14th, Fountain First, Casey's Small Press Poetry Fest, Awesomeness, look for fountainverse.com, the, the website, or Fountain Verse Small Casey Small Press Poetry Fest on Facebook for details, schedules. People come in from all over the country and beyond to be featured at this event, a three-day poetry event. So anyway, on Thursday, October 11th, the day before that, three of my favorite people are coming in to Lawrence to do a reading here. Wolfgang Karsten's poet and publisher at Epic Rights Press, Rob Plath who's so dear to me when I'm recording, I have a painting by Rob on the wall of the room that I'm in. Um, always makes me happy. And I have a poetry, I have, uh, anyway, Rob Plath, who's coming in from Long Island, New York. By the way, Wolfgang's coming in from Sherwood Park, Alberta, Canada. And Todd Cirillo, who's coming in from New Orleans, Louisiana. Those three plus two wonderful poets in Lawrence, Kansas, Barry Barnes and Macy Webb, are doing a show in downtown Lawrence at a place called Lucia Beer Garden and Grill. And it's going to be amazing, powerful, wonderful, beautiful poetry. So for people who are in the area uh, coming in for Fountain Verse, need something to do Thursday night, the 11th. We're about 45 minutes drive from the Fountain Verse locations. And this is going to be wonderful. I'm so, so excited. So that stuff coming up. I, yes, am happy and excited about these event things, and I could say more. And what I want to do instead is go, a while back, I got to do a show with this delightful, wonderful person who does his own writing as well as is a host for some readings and does these things online, a couple websites that feature other poets. He does a bunch of stuff. Johnny Longfellow is how he's called. And I happened to notice that he was mentioning a person who, a poet who I didn't know named Jeff Bogato. And I thought, I think I need to talk to Jeff and share him with our audience for people who don't already know him. So welcome, Jeff Bogato. Well, thank you, Marcia. 
I'm excited. I always get excited when I do the show and I, and I tell people, it's like, you know, I, I, I love finding out. I love, I love this connection thing. I love that. I've, I've, my, my life has been so involved with my work in social work and suicide prevention. And, and I, and I love the people who do that kind of work. And when I started venturing into um, going out in my own community to more art things and, and paying attention to different, in particular, spoken word poetry and other contemporary poetry, I thought, man, this stuff is so much like things that are the same conversations I'm having with people one-on-one, you know? And and there's this important stuff that's being communicated through art and in ways that that will bring people in that other ways won't. And so suddenly I found myself drawn to all these artists and have this whole new community and in this podcast where if somebody's a guest, 99% of the time they are an artist. That's who they are. That's what they do, but it's who they are. Anyway, Jeff, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about you, just a little bit of background (laughs) highlights, you know, just a couple of things. And then I want to, you know, for us to talk, you know, I was, I always had this vision of my guest who's at a distance still being with me at the, at the table I'm sitting at with their cup of coffee and, you know, kind of see where the conversation goes. But who are um, you in the brief (laughs) firm? Or the highlights, or that, well, they wouldn't guess this, so I'll say this. Whatever you want to say, it's your time. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Marcia. Um, well, I live in Falls Church, Virginia, just outside D.C. Um, so, you know, I've been sort of, you know, I'm more of an amateur artist in the sense that I don't do this professionally. So, you know, but I've been doing things for the past well, almost 30 years around here. Um, uh-huh. I've done all kinds of things, you know, freelance writing for uh, magazines, record reviews, uh, you know, I've run a concert series and, um, you know, you know, my main thing too now is, you know, making my own music, some video, and then um, I've gotten back into the writing recently, you know, so um that's you know that's kind of what I'm up to at this point. Uh-huh. And and you say you know you're not a professional yet. You've been doing these art things, you said for about thirty years. And you remind me of when I was talking to Janetta Miss Calhoun, who's the the poet laureate of, of uh, Oklahoma, and she said she refers to herself as a practicing poet. You know right. that she's always learning and improving and writing and reading, and so she considers herself a practicing poet as in a similar way to you saying, well, I'm not a professional. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's just, I mean, especially when you, you know, write things that are out of the mainstream, you know, you can't really count on that being your uh, bread and butter, so to speak. So, you, right. you know, I think for me, just remaining active and remaining creative is the kind of the most important thing uh, uh-huh. as long as I, do that then you know you know that's really what's important yeah yeah so what what got you to to start creating some kind of art whatever it was way back when do you even remember what what I, I don't know it just seemed I guess it just seems natural to me I mean even when I was a child I would you know write little poems and you know make songs for myself and I just uh, 
I like to read, so I imagined that, you know, you know, I wanted to be a writer and, um, you know, I had ideas. I wanted to be in a band and make movies and different things like that. And I guess I never, <clears throat> nobody ever told me I couldn't do those things. So, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once I was, you know, able to do that, you know, then I just, you know, I just started doing it and kept doing it. I mean, I haven't been, you know, like in terms of the poetry, I haven't been writing poetry continuously. There was a big gap there. Uh, you know, like with my history, I was pretty active in the nineties around here doing open mics and writing and trying to get published. And then I gave up sort of, I just, it was just too frustrating back in those days because to get anything published, you know, you had to put something in the mail. And mm-hmm. I mean, no matter how much research I did, you know, half the stuff would come back returned to sender because the magazines had closed. Yeah. Um, at this point, you know, going back and trying to figure out, oh, what did I get published? I have things where I have letters that I saved that said that I was accepted, but I never saw the journals. And mm-hmm. I can't, I don't have a copy of them. I don't know whether they ever came out. One, I actually contacted them. They said, well, well, that journal never came out. <laughs> that um, is, we, we folded before that came out. Well, I didn't know that until like, you know, 20 years later. So, um, but these days, you know, you can, you know, get online and find online journals and send stuff. And like when I first started sending stuff out a couple of years ago, I mean, I literally, I sent something to a guy, Zombie Logic Review, and literally the same day he had accepted and published all all the five pieces I had sent him. And I was just like, this is, (laughs) I don't know. You can say what you want about the internet, but in terms of getting published, it's a really great thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know whether anybody reads it, but you know, it's out there. I think a lot of people do. And, and, and I'm, I'm the one who it's sort of ironic because of the way I, I do my own work, which is many times for free, but I always encourage people to actually spend money on on books. You know that artists. You know, like you said, you, you said you're not a professional, and I think what you were saying really was you cannot support yourself by your art alone. I think right. that's what you meant by professional. And what I think about is people assume that they can get stuff for free online. And they can enjoy that, you know, and they can share that. But the thing is, is that we all need to be responsible for, as I say, spending time and money with the things that are really important to, to us. And so for well, me, this is true. Yeah, for me, that includes buying books. I mean, I, I have had many people gift me with books, and I, and I appreciate that. But also, I, I'd like to know that I'm making that difference by buying the book um, and I tend to, like when I go to a reading, you know, to buy it there, um, I tend to look right. for who the press is and if they, if they actually sell through that, that small press. Um, if they don't, my next go-to is my local independent bookstore, Raven Bookstore here in Lawrence. And as it happens, the owner is a poet um, as well as the owner of the store since about a year ago. And and right. you know, and so it's like I I want these things to be available, you know. And so spending some money buying books 
is an important thing. And, and, and I realize for some people, there literally is no extra income for anything. But I also know for a lot of people, they're spending some money on a few more beers or another cup of coffee yeah. or, you know, going out and, you know, instead of cooking a meal, buying some stuff, as my friend Nancy would say, from a window, you know, drive through. And it's like, man, if you weren't spending that money, you know, a couple of times, you could be buying somebody's poetry book. And that makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember in the 90s when I was doing, you know, uh, I was actually doing a music fanzine and a friend of mine I worked with, I was lamenting how nobody bought the bought the thing you know if i tried to tell him about it at a show or something nobody would buy it and he would he said well that's hilarious because it's only three dollars and they you know they'd go and buy they'd spend more money at starbucks on a exactly. cup of coffee and a and a stale dipping stick and i always thought that was the, yeah. the stale dipping stick was the funniest part it was like <laughs> yeah you know we'll throw throw our money away and all kinds of things that you wouldn't buy a book of poetry well you know mm-hmm. a lot of these journals you know they are online so you can look at the journals for free and then i know um a number of them that i've been published by will also do um anthologies uh-huh. and like you know like night garden journal uh she recently did an anthology over the summer uh, like a summer anthology and then uh futures trading it does anthologies of their issues. So, you know, and I think that's how they try to support, you know, the journal, all the attendant costs of yeah. doing an online journal, you know, yeah. um, is try to sell some of these anthologies. Um, yeah. And so, know, you know, there are definitely ways to get out there. You know? yeah. it's, it's difficult and controversial, I think, for, for journals because there are, there are some journals that also have submission fees, right? You know, and that's yeah. part of how they can support what they're doing. And there are some people who will say, you know, I'm not, no, I'm not sending my work any place where I have to pay for them to read it. You know, it's like, okay, you can make that choice, but <laughs> let's also look at, you know, where are you willing to spend money for poetry and how do you, you know, what are you thinking in terms of people spending money on your poetry and kind of look at that whole big picture? You know, it's like sometimes we do things for the good of the cause. And right. so, so that submission fee is for the good of the journal or that subscription, you know. Well, it's really for the, you know, the long-term effort of the journal because, yeah. I mean, I always think of the, some of these folks, they just, you know, imagine how burned out they must get i know for myself from doing all these kinds of things you know over the years that after a while you you do get kind of burned out and having to pay for you know internet costs and you know pay to have the website up there on its own little domain and yeah and time for the submittable account and all that kind of thing it just becomes one more drag on the effort and you know so i mean Sometimes it's grading that, oh, I have to pay $2. Usually when you have to, for me, I find that usually, you know, it's the higher echelon journals that have these fees and I'm just ultimately going to end up getting rejected because my work doesn't fit into their, their model. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, then there's others that, um, yeah, I think they're just trying to, may have a long-term view you know if we if we get burned out in the first year paying for fees and covering all the fees for people then you know this this 
journal isn't going to last very long. It isn't going to be very right. useful to the community of writers and right. readers. So, right. you know. And that's what it's about. It's not about people are making big money off of their journals. It's about making that art available and that there, there's some right. need for some finances. I want, you, you just said something about, you know, well, there are certain journals that you wouldn't send to because it's not, your work isn't their kind of work, basically. I would love for you to share some of your work with us right now. Even though we're not spending any money on it, but I'm not getting it either. <laughs> well, you know, most if if you had to get paid for things, then you know they wouldn't. The things that you enjoy, you wouldn't necessarily. Before you did them, you wouldn't necessarily end up doing a whole lot because, you know, most people won't pay you to do something you actually enjoy doing. Um, let me think here. Um, I'm trying to figure out where I want to start with this. Um, well, here's one I wrote. Um, actually something I wrote a few years ago. It's part of what I what I think of as a book collection that I'm uh I've been over the past couple of years been trying to get this getting this, I have been getting this material published. I've only got a few more left to go in this collection to actually get published somewhere. Um and I've been trying to starting to shop around the book itself. Now this poem, I don't know if you ever saw the book uh I think it was called Man on a Wire. And it was about the guy that actually uh, walked the tightrope across the Twin Towers, uh, mm -hmm. Philip Pettit, Petit. And um, it, it was, there was a documentary about his effort. And it was just uh, very inspiring. And shortly after I uh, saw that documentary, I wrote this particular poem. Now, he called his effort Le Coup. He was French, so he, he called his effort Le Coup because... It was kind of a coup for him to uh -huh. sneak into the Twin Towers and, you know, set up his wires and then do his walk. The coup. Facing death, disguised as a dark wind, the tightrope dancer pirouettes across the sky. Arms folding above his head, he drops a plucked star to deep-rooted souls pointing up, up there. He's laying flat on the thread, a cloud's breath above man's world, swaying in a breeze that only makes him smile. Fleeting on a needle, this one angel can save only those who also brave the wire of their own lives. Wow. So what what pulled you into that documentary? Do you, do you have a sense of, wow, this 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 is why something needed to come out of me related to this guy's act? I don't know. It was just very inspiring. I mean, this guy had this impossible dream and just the documentary just follows how just step by step this guy solved the problem of, you know, I think it's, you know, this guy took a thing that, well, he had this tremendous skill. He could do that. He could walk across a tightrope, you know, and he was out there, you know, in the early morning, just almost dancing across the thing, you know, because he was so skilled. Well, you know, it's the same thing that anybody, you know, we all have challenges, things that we mm -hmm. want to do in our lives, mm -hmm. like getting a poem published or, you know, <clears throat> recording some music or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, anything that you're trying to do. And, you know, it's really about, you know, breaking the problem down into little pieces and just solving them piece by piece and you can achieve just about anything and this guy achieved pretty much achieved the impossible mm -hmm. 
you know. Yeah, I love what you just did in terms of deconstructing that with, with you know, there is this part of this, this documentary, this act that all of us can relate to. You know, no, we're not all going to be, you know, dancing on a wire, you know, up in the air. But all of us have things in our life that feel that scary to us, you know, that, that, are, that, that do seem impossible. And the ones that are really important to us, we can find ways to do. I mean, I love that message. Yeah. So should I read another? Or we yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Um, now, not all my poems are that that serious. A lot of them in this collection, in particular, <laughs> a lot of them in this collection were written in a <clears throat> kind of a weird place for me. I just separated from my first wife, and I had yet to meet the woman who had become uh, my current wife. Um, and so I was. <clears throat> I would every day at, at work. I would go to lunch at, at Lafayette Park, which is the which is the park right across from the White House, and I would sit there and I would start writing, and I was determined to write poems that were absolutely against all poetry, you know. So just <laughs> silly, silly stuff, silly words, you know, uh, a lot of onomatopoeia, you know, just sound words, you know, uh-huh. just very strange stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure where this stuff came from because I haven't written stuff like that before or since quite uh-huh. like this. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so um, I guess here's one call, that I called the scales versus the serpent or a sea serpent means everything to me. A sea serpent in the Chesapeake sorts through the last oxygen counting blue crabs. His kind once assembled for drag races, but it's just too dangerous now. Sunlight glints on reptilian eyes resting in the gently swelling waves. He stares beyond the world of power skis and men, the taste of an oil slick in the back of his mouth. A photograph might show a log, a manatee, an overturned rowboat, a tractor tire, an old honey bucket. It's just a trick of the mind when you can't see through the calendar, the windscreen, or the lens. When the TV provides colors richer than the river, when the internet connects you to every blindness of the day, when the automobile can get you to the mall where the lines for coffee and pillowcases grow longer than the serpent and the lingerie so much more real. Interesting. Wasn't quite as silly as I expected, so I was like, oh. Well, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Some of them, I was looking through them and I was like, I don't know, some of them aren't as clean as the. Oh, that's Maybe not a problem. Maybe they should be to go over the radio. <laughs> no, no worries. It's a podcast. You could whatever language is is in the problem is all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have one that's really, really weird. It's about nematodes. <laughs> okay. I have to, let me find. I didn't mark that one because I thought it was too weird. <laughs> yeah. So. This poem is funny. This poem especially makes you know makes me laugh because I sent it to one journal and the guy rejected everything. He, he's rejected everything I sent, but he wrote back to me and he said, you know, he you know he had these long comments about everything, which is rare. It's rare for an editor to comment so much mm-hmm. when he rejects your work. But about this particular poem, 
you know, this one's called Unemployed Nematodes Keep It Real. So it's all about nematodes facing financial calamity. <clears throat> and his comment was, well, that's got to be the definitive statement on those. <laughs> so I thought that was, I thought that was pretty funny. So every time I read it to myself, I think, oh, this is this is definitely the definitive statement on <laughs> unemployed nematodes. I don't think it, you know. <clears throat> so um, this one's a little longer than the others, but it's okay. <clears throat> unemployed nematodes. Keep it real. Do nematodes normally speak, squeak, or sing? And if so, do they also scream when the hedge funds and okra funds, the bean, tomato, pepper, and zucchini funds collapse to lie buried under the weight of too much horse fertilizer, that abundant medium of parasite joy? Hiding from heavy sun, one worm, fat and happy, sings in a tomato mansion, eating through the walls and wrapping round the core. Then comes the fall, no money, no job, no work, no home. Financial ruin and foreclosure impending, yes, even for nematodes. Sing now a blues for nematodes, looking up at hard brown rinds from the dirt, crying, crying, wah. Can I get an exit, 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 exit in these times of bankaholic maladjustment and woe? Nowhere to go, plant nematodes, not fit for guts, gut worms, not fit for plants. The woes of a parasite like those of a market guru, that master of high rolling, a numbers man calling the numbers one day or two days or five days at a time. Now hear this forecaster modeling the many happy returns of the day, taking the bets, making the bank, shearing and spinning the wool and knitting the wool, then wearing the sweater, a vest so stylish, trendy, tasty, and cool, so clear, so proud, so sexy, ha-ha or knit up a scarf for a winter's morn, like simply wearing a nematode or a nematode wearing the air now without that sweet zucchini home to hide him looping coils, him soft and floppy flesh rolled out like dough. The fun's gone dry and the market's dimmed. A worm must sing for his supper and gyrate for the ladies, so sexy ha-ha wrapping round the pole. Hear him sing much louder with these Mathological numbers and hortometric growings gone. Oh, so sexy, ha, ha, ha. So sexy, wrapping round the pole. <laughs> well, this is a first for me. A poem about a worm. <laughs> I yeah, think I've heard odes to opossums and many other critters, but this is the for armadillos. But this is the first worm. I love it. <laughs> Are you a gardener? Well, no, I'm not really sure. That's why I'm not really sure where most of these <laughs> ideas came from. But I, you know, I don't really know. But it just sort of came <laughs> out like that. Were you having strange dreams at the same time as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I think it just all came out on the paper, you know. <laughs> That's cool. So you're putting you. I think you were saying that you're working towards a collection with some of these poems. Is that right? Well, um, yeah. This everything in this particular collection came from a certain phase of writing, pretty intense mm -hmm. period of writing in the summer of 2009, actually. And um, I kind of think of them all as being kind of, uh, you know, of a similar kind of mode. Um, 
I mean, I've written a bunch of, a lot of stuff since then in the past couple of years. And, but this is the, and usually I try to think of this stuff in terms of, oh, this is going to be a book, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of helps unify things as a, as a theme or something. So, um, but yeah, a lot of these are written sitting in Lafayette Park and observing things and, I don't think I saw any actual nematodes, but um... <laughs> so do you write there now? Do you go over by the white? No, I, I don't know. That was just one period. Now, if I uh-huh. go over there, I stopped going over there because too, too often they would just close the park. So I would go over there and be closed. So I don't know. Uh-huh. It's kind of it'd be kind of frustrating. <laughs> I was in D.C. in April for a conference and a lot of people, you know, that people would ask, you know, when I was planning to go, when I came back, so I said, did you go to the White House? It's like, no, why would I go to the White House now? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it can be a lot of fun to hang out in Lafayette Park because, you uh-huh. know, a lot of weird things happen there. I mean, you uh-huh. know, you see a lot of tourists, but day after day you'll see you know just random protests i've seen street preachers there with a you know little battery amplifier and you know or a megaphone i've seen all kinds of stuff you know the falun gong people are always out there the there's you know you see different people with signs and stuff uh like people protesting the ashram living in that part of the country well i grew up i grew up uh, in woodbridge which is just uh south of dc on 95 and um so you know i'm from this area you know i'm actually a native people usually i hear people saying oh nobody live, nobody's from here well that's not true i'm from here and mm-hmm. my fam my mother's family lived here for a long time so um you know i'm a native of this area so i mean i went away for college and i just happened to come back come back to this area mm-hmm. i mean it's a very dynamic area in dc and you know most people when they think of it they just think of capitol hill or whatever and that's never been my experience of, of Washington. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one reason, you know, a few years ago, I, I was writing stuff for the Washington Post and different places about weird tourist attractions. Um, and then uh, I decided to compile them as a book, you know, so I mm-hmm. compiled this book called Mondo DC and it's, and all these like strange 
tourist attractions and cool. you know little little museums. Well, a lot of unfortunately a lot of them are closed now, so the book is mm-hmm. more of a historical document mm-hmm. than uh, <laughs> actual functioning tour guide anymore, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's good that know. they're documented. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because there was a you know the thing that a lot of people outside of DC don't realize is that you know lots of people normal people just live here and they carry yeah. on their normal lives and, you know, they yeah. do their thing. And it, sometimes it can be very dull, like anywhere, and sometimes it can be very interesting. So. Mm-hmm. It's a good, important reminder. I, I like those little weird things, those weird places to go, find things that aren't the places everybody goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and kind of moving away from from that in particular, I just I, I'm struck by the variety of art that you create. You know that in terms of writing, you know you shared. You know you you write fiction. You obviously write nonfiction. You did that that book you shared yeah. to Mondo DC. You know you write poetry. You you do music. You do video. So, so there's a lot of different kinds of art in you that that comes out in different ways, and and I think that's very interesting as opposed to somebody who has said, you know, this is really this is my niche in art. You know that that I I write poetry, and I don't think I'm any good at any other kind of writing. Right. <laughs> what right. What about that? Like so many different things. I, I'm I'm interested in that. Do you well, have a sense about that as- in terms of the writing in particular, I mean, I, I'm trained as a writer uh, in college. I've taught uh, composition at the college level. So, you know, what I understand about writing is that all these things are different modes of writing. Mm-hmm. You know, you might use different vocabularies or different, you know, structures or whatever, you're, you know, but they're just different modes. So if you're able to switch from, you know, newspaper writing to, you know, writing a novel. It's just a different mode of, mm-hmm. you know, anticipating the reader's needs. And, you know, I mean, it's more fun to write poetry because really, you know, ultimately the the principal audience is oneself. You, you write to <laughs> express, yeah, you write to express something from yourself. And then, uh-huh. then you have to revive, you know, if you want you want to communicate with somebody else, then you've got to start working on it, revising it. Oh, does this actually communicate? I mean, that's one of the hardest things about writing a poem is that, you know, for me, is I can scribble out all kinds of nonsense and then type it up and then go back later, sometimes years later, and say, well, that's the case with this particular set of poems um, that I've been working on and just looking at it and just saying, well, I, I just don't know that... <laughs> this doesn't make any sense, you know, uh-huh. you know, so I've, you know, which parts of it don't make sense and what doesn't make sense about it. And yeah. what is somebody reading it going to think about it? Cause it's great if it's just for me, but then if I'm trying to approach an audience with it, you know, I want them to have something to take away. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I, I don't know. I think in terms of a lot, you know, maybe that's one reason I'm not, you know, I always wonder, you know, would I be more successful in any one particular endeavor, if I would just simply sit down and focus on that, exclusive of any other activity, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure I I could do it. You know, it's like with the video, I mean, um, I just, 
that kind of came out of my interest in music. I've always loved music and mm-hmm. I've been in bands and uh, made my own instruments and done my own oh, cool. music for a while. It's really not that difficult to make music. I mean, just about anything can be music. But you and said usually you make what, your own instruments, so that is very cool. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that. I mean, that's kind uh-huh. of a, especially within experimental music, people make uh-huh. make their own instruments or uh, develop their own ways of playing them. And mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, so I, I've gotten into analog synthesizers and just looking on eBay for things. And I saw this guy who was selling, um, you know, it was they were video devices from the eighties and that he was taking and then he was more or less hot wiring them. He was bending the circuits to make, so they would mess the video signal up. And I just thought this would that would be great. I already had a collection of videotapes so and VCRs from thrift stores, so I got one of his <laughs> things and you just have to run the stuff through the video you just run the stuff through the device and twiddle the knobs and I mean, it's hard to not come up with something really interesting, you know. <laughs> so you getting so, video from the sound? Is that what then you you've got to go and edit it, you know. Then you edit it to, uh-huh. you know, try to cut out the stuff that didn't work so well. And, uh-huh. you know, so. Um, that sounds like a, magic to me. I mean, I just can't. Like, I might yeah. like, how does that work? That's very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think if you saw it done, it wouldn't seem so magical. You know, it's like, you know, caveman seeing match lighting. You know, I mean, just I don't think any of us know how to make a match, but we know how to strike one. So, you know, it's not terribly magical to <laughs> now, connect now, the cables. I'm not going to agree with you. I think lots of things are magical. <laughs> I don't understand. I remember, and I've told this story before, but I remember, I have this vivid memory of being a little kid and having my older brother and they have an argument about how music came out of the record. Because I knew in my little child brain, I absolutely knew that there were little people inside there playing Um, that music right then. And my brother knew that was stupid and I was wrong. And I, he couldn't convince me. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that story, it's like I visualize those little people. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it yeah. would be magical to a yeah. small child. How would you, how does it come? You, you don't imagine what the circuits are or anything. <laughs> you know? I mean, the average person, you know, none of us could make that circuitry or right. even repair it or anything. But <laughs> some people have that ability. They can just solder this stuff together. I mean, how do they do it? I don't, that is magical. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> well, but I mean, I've ta- what, I've, what I'm doing with the video is, uh-huh. this, you know, I have a collection of devices now and I chain them all together with, cables and run video through it and you can run an hour worth of video through it and record you know record it and i run it through my computer and edit it and i mean if this if the computer editing software wasn't as easy i wouldn't be able to do it i i don't really have any great mastery of the software but it's not really that difficult to use i, I maybe it's just where there's a will there's a way you know? <laughs> 
Which gets say, back to the man on the wire, right? And then nobody ever told me I couldn't do this stuff, uh-huh. so I uh-huh. just sit down and just do it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't get well, see, myself in a lot of trouble, but <laughs> yeah. see, it's it's explaining more and more how you relate to to Philip Petit, you know that that that's kind of your life story is as being the man on the wire doing these things because nobody told you you did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> So how many times have you been in jail? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying to stay out of jail. So do you do performances sometimes that are that include your video as well as your music? Well, I I have done that. It's uh-huh. it's been a few years. I mean, ever since I started um, collecting the analog instruments and video. I mean. In the older days, uh, I mean, I would have, you know, stuff I would make myself and Mm -hmm. uh, just some effects boxes and just found stuff. And I would go out and do these, you know, it was just like, well, you know, I have a drum machine I got in a thrift store or a yard store for five bucks. So I don't, you know, if somebody spills beer on it or it gets stolen, it's not a huge loss. But... Mm -hmm. These days, I mean, if I the last time I did a show, I I, I realized, oh my God, I've probably got two thousand dollars worth of gear here. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I can't I can't afford to have somebody spill beer on it or yeah. step on it or steal it or whatever. I mean, I just can't. Uh-huh. So I I just I don't. I haven't been doing performances, but I have I have done it. You know, I have uh-huh. I've got a I've got a video projector. I can. You know, I could, you know, I've taken this stuff out and done performances with the video, yeah. Maybe what you need is to set up a performance studio and have it filmed as opposed to you yeah. know, taking all those things. Because to me, it sounds fascinating, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure I can't really imagine what it all is. And so having having a short documentary or you know, a rec- video recording of this yeah. combination of art sounds wonderful to me. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> I mean, I do have links to the, I do have a YouTube channel with uh-huh. some of the more recent videos that I've done. Um, there's a link to it on the blog site. And then, um, you know, you could get an example of, you know, what more the more recent stuff i've done you know Uh know, the kind of more recent music i've done and video that i've I've created for Uh it so um i like the multimedia thing that's that's part of what i'm struck by i remember even being at at raven for a reading that was accompanied by a slideshow behind the the writer and it was really cool having that that duality of these images as well as the words you know yeah and there was a performance uh, a few years ago with a that was around a time of some art for climate change, and it was dance and poetry. So yeah. you know, I love those mixing of arts. Yeah. 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 I've definitely, you know, I've done music with with dancers and uh-huh. things like that. And it's 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 fun, you know. Uh-huh. To, you know, to get more things out there, to really take advantage of all the elements of the stage that are possible, you know, uh-huh. to to not just sit up there and stare at a computer and 
twiddle a knob, but to actually use the different elements that are available in terms of set design or costuming and yeah. lighting and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, try to make things a little more interesting for people. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, the one right thing now. about the... I'm sorry. The one thing about the video thing is just, you know, I, you know, in doing that with the, you know, just with the iMovie software, I realized, oh, well, it's mm-hmm. super easy to, to grab stills mm-hmm. off of the videos. And then looking at it just frame by frame, I, I realized, well, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of images that you almost miss. Mm-hmm. And I've started putting, you know, I've put elements of my poems overlaid in the videos um awesome. so they're yeah. kind of video poems and then i realized well you know submitting to all these journals i realized well a lot of people do visual poetry so i submitted yeah. a lot of the stills you know and had the uh-huh. stills published with the elements yeah. of the uh poems in it and so it's kind of been a <clears throat> it's been an inspiration to see some of the things other yeah. people work on and what what the possibility is for the yeah. you know with internet publishing you can just send somebody a bunch of stills and then you can, uh-huh. you know. That's very cool. That's very cool. There's a lot of art in you that's going to just keep coming out. And and although we're talking about the variety of art, I would love it if you would read some more, whether it's, you know, from um, poetry or other genres, but, but to share a little bit more. And and listeners, my my hope is is that we are getting you so interested that not only are you going online, but you might go and buy something from Jeff Beck. Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing is it's so cool that to have something. And I I love being able to slowly look at and consider the words on the page. You know, I, I love how yeah. I heard it in the in the writer's voice. But I also really appreciate. Being able to go back and and kind of let my my brain play with it in a different way that I can do it's on the page. Well, let me read this one. This is also from that older collection of stuff. Um, all of this stuff, you know, I haven't yet put in a book published. Um, I guess the the last you know last time I published a book, you know. Um, it would be available either on Lulu or Amazon. You might be able to order it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I did a book called And the Trillions, which I called an additive poem, which is just, um, you know, just the phrase and the trillions, and it just has different things. It's like a long, almost like a list of things, very you know, strange places, and just done different collections of, of older work. Um, uh, so most of this stuff you'd have to find in journals, but um, <clears throat> I did do a book of uh, limericks, you know, <laughs> um, based on the based on Lovecraft's uh, C- Cthulhu mythos. It's called Cthulhu limericks, and I, I kind of hope that that might, you know sell some copies but it really hasn't worked out too well so you you just have to do things that you want to do you know i don't have those right here with i don't have those in front of me i should have shouldn't have even mentioned it (laughs) really an example in front of me (laughs) problem well this is one again i actually wrote this poem in 2009 and um it's uh 
I always kind of thought it was a little prescient of the things we're dealing with now. Mm -hmm. This one's called Soup Du Jour, Election Year. Mm -hmm. What mad captain wants to go down with his soup du jour before him like a stain on a white napkin tucked under his chin? A soft noose not sturdy enough to hold his neck. A loop in time through which dance his past marvels, his wheeze and woes and howdy-doos. Smartly smirking to the chef, almost a wink, a plate of oysters or foie gras, perhaps. Some loose goose all drawn up with a raspberry sauce blown from his nose. Bring on the meat, the blubber, the floss. The flensing knife cuts clean. We are sailing backwards at high tide, underwater with the best. Wow. I'm, yeah. Bringing us back to the reality, huh? <laughs> oh, sorry. I I said to Franz, I was no opinions being ventured about John McCain, but listening to Barack Obama speak at that funeral, it's like my my heart and brain said, "This is what presidents are like." You know? Yeah. 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 Well, um, I kind of wanted to read that poem as a lead into like my some work that I was doing last year. I mean, my response to the thing was the, this. I've I've always been fascinated by lost civilizations. I have a okay. in my library. I have a number of books about lost civilizations and lost cities from around the world. Um, and um, so I was just I. The, the current situation made me think about how, you know, how fragile, you know, languages, cultures, and nations really are. And people don't realize how fragile they are, how many civilizations, powerful civilizations have completely vanished, mm -hmm. you know, um, cities. And, and there's evidence of this all over the world. In every part of the world, there's evidence mm -hmm. of these things. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not a polemical person or a poet, so I you know I kind of turned this into something something else, you know, rather than being political statements, but more statements in general about you know the fragility of, of you know human culture. <clears throat> so um, this poem is a. Uh, it's based on a civilization called, or a city called Scarabray, and it's uh, in the Orkney Islands of Scotland. Uh, it's called uh, Hold This Moment in Stone. <clears throat> Chits and snares, chances receding into yesterday's twilight, time travel cannot return the past, errors must remain errors. A dig peels back the days one by one, increments, grains of sand, margins of retreat, Sifting the bones and shards, a kind of guessing, a leap of faith that an ancestor died here, that this pile of sand or soil conceals her hearth and home and worldly goods from eyes and more eyes, foul children peeping through, the, through a keyhole, this doorway in time. Firelight parts the gloom. There she stands, a drink at lips and a babe in arms, stew pot heating above the flames. Icons and pottery new made, newly invested with meaning and power, meaning that is power to survive this moment in the light. Faith is for the present and not for gone days or a future that can be excavated only by tumbling into death. Witness these various ruins, 
columns that held up the law, domes that sheltered councils of war and welfare, walls to hold these people to their daily bread, watchtowers from which to mark those hordes of doom for an arrow or a sword, temples, tombs for gods who also died here, or sometimes changed into other gods as one alphabet overtakes another. This brick, a road, a gate, a headstone now, though earth has swallowed its true meaning too. And with your, your talking about it before you start reading and that reminder that, that it's cultures as well as actual places, you know, it's, it's values, it's the losses, the changes. Yeah. There can be lots of different kinds. It, it does make that particular poem even for me more touching because I think that's a lot of... You know, it's in some ways it, it's it's a poem that my my statement about Barack Obama. You know, it's like this is this is what it's supposed to be, and that's not at all what it is right now. Right. We we can have losses that we didn't realize until it's too late. Right. And hoping that somebody finds something, and then the important stuff is brought back to our awareness. That's that's a message of hope, right? We can do that. Well, I yeah, I suppose so. You know. Yeah. We have to do. That. Wow. Okay, that was intense. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should go back to the like weird poems. <laughs> the worms and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Worms and sea monsters. <laughs> So, I can do that. I can go in that direction. All right. How about another poem then? <laughs> See what else I had marked here. Now, this one's pretty weird. <laughs> this one's called Your Ad Here. Oh, nihilism, oh, woe, oh, fee fi, fo fum, old balderdash on cue. When was the last time I saw such a great ape strutting before the lens with a raisin or four backing his lengthy tune with bells and whistles and gosh? The purple Kong prances well. He means well, I think. He smells well, I mean to say, as again and again he raises a placard on high. We deliver, we service, we sing. Cure-alls and crowns and flit for the bigger doodah of your D-die day. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, so listeners, we have heard a variety of things, been tempted in many ways by today's guest, Jeff Bugato. And I think that's, that's really, to me, it's, it's impressive. It's delightful. It was, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know before we started this conversation, Jeff, you know, how immersed you are in these different arts and, and different tones and, I, I like that a lot. I, I appreciate that a lot. I, I'm, well, I'm, thank you. Yeah, I find it challenging for sure in terms of living with all of that. Because I was thinking, I was think, I was trying to imagine sort of what your brain and heart are like with all these different possibilities always in front of you, and some of them needing to be expressed. <laughs> well, sometimes it's hard to know where to go. I'm kind of uh -huh. got a writer's block at the moment, so. Uh -huh. Not sure where to go with it sometimes, mm -hmm. but um, 
just so have to wait it out. <laughs> does does sometimes one of your other arts help kind of express something like maybe music as as opposed to writing for some kinds of things? You know, do you do you sometimes have a, a call in a certain direction like that? I don't know because I don't necessarily go in with a preconceived idea of well, what am I going to write about or yeah. or communicate. You know, I just mm-hmm. kind of you know start messing around and then. You know, I mean, the the greatest thing about writing in particular is that, you know, once you get to a certain point when you're, this is why they always tell you to do pre-writing and stuff like that. So you, you've got to get to the point where you're suddenly discovering things that you didn't know that you're, that you didn't already know that you knew, mm-hmm. you know, and the ways of expressing things that you didn't hadn't already thought of and mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of, you know once you get in that zone then you know it's, things are a lot more interesting than mm-hmm. well i'm going to sit down and write you know like a diary entry this happened to me or mm-hmm. i'm thinking about this so you know mm-hmm. i don't <clears throat> i'm not sure that i sit out I, I definitely don't sit down and think oh i gotta express something and i just mm-hmm. i think i create I, I get stuff down and then i look back at it and think oh you know what is this <laughs> What is this all about? Mm-hmm. And can it can it actually be shaped into something? Or you know, um, you know, is but, it good enough to to even keep on the piece yeah. of paper? <laughs> yeah. But do you get do you get kind of internally called to whatever? I don't know what how you make your music. I don't know you know if it's if it's all electronic or you have some instruments that you hold in your hands or what. But I mean, do you sometimes just get like I need to, I need to do this music thing. Not that I know what's going to come out, but just that that I'm longing to to do music right now, or or I'm feeling like something needs to come through my fingers in writing. Or, right. You know, is, is it? Do you have that kind of a sense of being called to a certain part of your creativity sometimes? Well, you know. I'm not sure that, you know, well, yeah, I'm not sure it works that way for me. I mean, definitely the writing, it's it's more portable. You know, I can take a notebook out and yeah. I could be, I can take a walk at lunch and scribble something down or I, I, yeah. I can, you know, get up in the middle of the night and scribble down an idea or something. Yeah. Um, with the music, like right now, I'm, I'm mostly using an, a drum machine and a, a rather large, you know, analog keyboard synthesizer. And so it, you know, I really, to really get something going, I really need some time. I, you mm-hmm. know, I, you know, I have to fiddle with the sounds, try to, you know, you know, just, if I get a good drum pattern and I got to think of what's going to go over it and it takes a little bit of time to experiment with things to get something that's satisfying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, yeah, I, I would love to be able to sit in the music studio every day and fiddle with stuff. I mean, not so long ago, I had some time off, and I did manage to get in there every day. And I, I just I figured out how to use the drum machine and how to get sounds out of the keyboard, and I just mm-hmm. produced quite a bit of work, you know, mm-hmm. during the week or so. And you know, it was really really rewarding. Um, but you know, on the usual week, I don't have that much time to get in there and mm-hmm. sit down and really do that. So. Um, you know, it would be great to be able to sit down and do that every day. So, <clears throat> I mean, at the moment, I don't even have my video stuff set up because I had to 
shift a lot of stuff around, and so I haven't really gotten it reset up again to to work on that. So, um, you know, it's that stuff takes a lot more room. It's really easy to do writing. You, know, you just sit in a chair with a notebook, and you mm-hmm. know, you can create you know a whole world. You know, yeah. So, cool. I mean, some of the some of the books I was doing, like I, I had this so far, there's three of them. There's about a dishwasher who is determined to um, visit every human settlement in the solar system. So, so far he's been to Uranus, Venus, and Mars. And I actually wrote two of those. Um, my wife had to go to uh, Arizona on a business trip. And I went with her and the first time we were there for two weeks and I just sat down in the hotel while she went to work. I sat down and every day I, I wrote, you know, wonderful for eight hours every day. And I, uh-huh. I was just, this is a, and then the next time I, I only had a week and I managed to produce a book. Cause I, and I was just, this is a great way to do it. It's just to sit down and eight hours every day, just uh-huh. force yourself. I cannot, and it was great too because if it was if it had just been me, I would have fooled around all day. And I, but I knew that she's going to come home and she's going to go, "Oh, what'd you do today? <laughs> you know, what'd you get done today?" And I would be like, "Oh my God, I can't just say I <laughs> I goofed off. I watched TV all day or whatever. I played on on Facebook all day. So. <laughs> it was good. Ooh, a little bit of that's, of that's uh, too easy to help. <laughs> Well, there was no pressure. I mean, you know, it's just I I, I knew she was going to want to know. She was very uh-huh. interested, and so and I wanted to be have something to tell her. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, it was actually a positive thing. It wasn't yeah. like oh, this is a negative thing. I got to avoid right. this. Right. It was more like oh yeah, I want to you know, this is going to be great. You know? That's a great opportunity. So to, to, yeah, to so it was a it was a really yeah. positive way of of doing it. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good thing. So. Pressure isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing, you know. It's it's that encouragement. Perhaps you didn't like the word, but but that that. Well, it made it sound like it was a little negative of this, you know, like you know, oh, you wasted your time all day. Oh, that wasn't that wasn't the case. It was just. I mean, for me, most of the pressure comes from me, you know, right, it's like right. I've got to do this. I am yeah. going to lock in. I'm going to do this. I am not going right. to, you know, I would be more mad at myself if I goofed around all right. day. I would be really furious with myself yeah. if I just. And, and so you yeah. turned it into this positive about how cool it'll be, how fun it'll be to talk to her. Yeah. About the writing I've done, I love that. I love that. Yeah. We are, we are at that time at that end of the hour. Okay. And so, listeners, I want to remind them that, hey, you listeners, this has been an hour with Jeff Bogato, and to find more about him, an easy way is his website, and it's his name. So I'll spell that that name is J-E-F-F-B-A-G-A-T-O. So at jeffbogato.com, you can find a lot more. That's right. And there are books to order. There are wonderful things to experience. There's poetry on that site. But but books to order, is that's always a good thing to do that part, too. <laughs> so, Jeff, I thank you so much for joining me. And I thank Johnny oh, Longfellow so for much. planting the seed. You know, we got, we got to get him in here, too. Midnight Lane Boutique, among other things. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, 
a great journal. I, yeah. I really love that journal a lot. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. I really appreciate welcome. it. It's fun and good. And people can, can look for you in new ways. And some of your old friends will go, hey, I didn't know that about him. Cool. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and I want to thank Daniel Smith, who does the tech for this show, who produces the show. Daniel, thank you, because you let people hear. I get the fun of talking to people, and you get the, that work of putting it together so people can listen to it at whatever moment is right for them. And I appreciate that a lot. And I thank you listeners. I, I love the ones who also periodically say, hey, you know, I love listening to these shows, and I actually did buy a book from that person. I'm like, Yeah. So thanks to all and so long for now.